EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olya Jordanian, an EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is March 3rd. My colleague Sandra Porcar and I talked to Alexandra Soika, a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Political Science at University of Granada, Spain. Um, I'm a visiting fellow here at the Center for European Studies. Uh, my name is Alexandra Soika. I am originally Polish, but I have been living in Spain, in the south of Spain, for the past 10 years. And I have also lived in the Netherlands, in Hungary, in Germany, um, and briefly in Italy. So yes, my my connection to Europe is very strong personally, but also professionally. I have been um, teaching about EU politics and European politics for the past five years in Granada and uh, my research is on the topic of European integration and um, yes I'm, I'm very so I'm very professionally and personally very much interested in in the topics of, of uh, support for European integration what makes people think that it's a good idea for uh, European countries to come together to work so obviously the question of future of, of Europe is, is, is very very important to me and central to both my professional and personal um, interests. What is the future emerging in Europe? I think that if uh, if I could a- answer that question with certainty, I wouldn't be talking to you right now, but I would just uh, probably uh, write a book and sell it immediately and uh, become rich because nobody knows how to answer that question. And everybody, uh, I think, is uh, asking that question right now in Europe and outside of Europe. And um, we obviously are very much in the process of having a very serious debate about that right now in Europe. And I think it's, it's obviously there are many problems. I think uh, many problems that have been ignored for a very long time that are at the root of this uh, issue. So in a way, I, I must say that I am, I am I'm happy that this is happening. Obviously not happy that, that we have several problems that we can talk about more in, in, in a little bit. But I think it's, it's good that this conversation is happening and that people are thinking about uh, what is good about uh, European integration, about uh, European countries coming together, what should be fixed, how could we fix that. Um, Because I think many of the problems that we have nowadays stem from the fact that especially national European elites were kind of um, not very much in touch with the uh, preoccupations of the people. And I think now we are in a moment that they no longer can ignore the fact that there is something that, that needs to be fixed. So I'm, I'm very happy that this conversation is happening, but I don't think that anybody has a kind of uh, answer that we could provide a definite a- answer to, the, to that question. I could say what I hope is the future of, of Europe, and, and, and I hope it is in, in collaboration, in, 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 in you know, multilateralism, in coming together of the different countries um, in a... V- constructive way um, without uh, blaming, you know, playing the blame game uh, in, in a spirit of solidarity. Uh, but obviously there are many obstacles to overcome, to come to that point. Can you tell us a little bit about the problems you just mm-hmm. mentioned? 
So um, I think that if you don't know about Europe's problems, probably you've been living under a rock the last uh, five to ten years. Uh, but yeah, we have we have several issues, and and uh, one of them is um, democratic legitimacy of the European institutions, but also. Uh, the kind of disconnect not only between the European institutions but also national institutions and the citizens. So I think that's that's a root problem there, and and this has been exacerbated by several other issues. Um, I think more, most importantly, we obviously had a very big impact of the economic crisis of the um, of the problems in some of the especially in the periphery of the European uh, of the European Union. Um, that has not been that have not been handled maybe in the best way possible, and that has antagonized many people towards the project of Europe. Uh, but also, I think uh, m- most importantly, the issue of immigration is right now on the table. And given that um, it's not a new issue, it has become the center of of uh, the debate um, due to the the developments in the summer of 2015 with the the refugee uh, crisis. But as I said, this is not a new issue. And in many countries uh, in the European Union, this has been a, um, a topic of discussion, of debate for, for many years now. And I think in this sense, um, it's good that it's now being talked about in a more kind of common European uh, way, because this is not something that individual countries can tackle on their own. They have been trying to tackle it, to find solutions um, with better or worse results. Um, but I think this is this is a, an issue that that Europe has to tackle together and redefine uh, as a community um, our values, or maybe uh, get better in touch with the values of the founding values of of Europe. And uh, how do we define our community? Who is uh, welcome and under what circumstances? So I think that. Um, Obviously, Brexit, for instance, which is a huge issue right now for European integration, is very much, um, or has been very much, uh, or has become an issue very much due to the to the preoccupations of the people about uh, issues related to immigration. So I think there are many, many problems that are very much interconnected among them. But at the root of of, of this uh, complex uh, crisis is, I think, um, a perception of European citizens that they are, have become disconnected from the European institutions and the national institutions. So I think if we are to fix any of these issues, that would be the most kind of immediate uh, reflection that we have to together um, to develop. If we can talk about a little bit about democracy mm-hmm. across Europe, how do you see the role of choice in defining the future of Europe? Mm-hmm. I mean, choice is at the at the very root of democracy. And um, I think that it's a, it's a very good point in time to think about that because um, what we have been seeing in, in Europe is uh, the rise of the populist right, especially, but also populist left, is very much due to the fact that people um, perceive the democratic system in, 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 the, in the European uh, countries as maybe deaf to some uh, extent to their anxieties, their preoccupations. So we, we have seen um, this worrying rise of, of populists, especially on the right, that are defined by uh, uh, issues of, of nationalism and xenophobia. But uh, 
before we totally uh, kind of dismiss this, uh, this, this as a valid issue, we have to think that it stems uh, this rising support for these kind of parties stems from the perception of the people that ha- they have been denied their choice. Because democracy about, is about choosing who you are represented by. And uh, maybe there, there is a big part of population in Europe that feels they have not been listened to or they have been denied this kind of choice or the possibility to be, to be um, represented in their, in their societies and, and their preoccupations. So I think it's, it's a very good question. And, and if we think about the future of Europe, um, we have to think that um, the rise in populism on the right, on the left, is is not only something that should worry us, but should also make us rethink um, the issue of what kind of uh, uh, alternatives were there on the table, policy alternatives. Um, so, for instance, coming back to the issue of immigration, I think, um, even though uh, some of the um, policy proposals or... Um, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it a political program, but uh, uh, some of the opinions of, of the far-right parties, uh, which we reject very easily uh, f- from the point of view of a democratic and open society, but they point us to the, to the issue that uh, there is something in the, in the society uh, among the people that makes them worry about the impact of immigration, for instance. So I think this is a very valid concern, and we should... Uh, try to address that, and maybe address that better than, than, than we have done so far. So I think uh, choice will be central to, to fixing the future of, of Europe or fixing the, the future of European integration. And I also think that um, another problem related to that at the supranational level is that um, the discussion has been very much about the choice between uh, European integration or disintegration. So a very much a questioning of the... Uh, of the institutions and whether we should uh, integrate at all. But there is also a very valid uh, question about the policy choices that has not been, uh, this discussion has not been going on to that, that extent in the European public sphere. So a lot of, I, th- I feel a lot of energy is being uh, wasted on discussions about the very uh, validity of European institutions, while we could use that energy to talk about different policy options. And I think um, that has not been that has not been given this kind of choice uh, for European uh, citizens to be able to discuss in what direction the European policies should be uh, going on. So due to how the institutional institutional uh, design is set up in in Europe, the outcomes uh, most of the times are somewhere in the center center right uh, these days. Uh, but it's it's just the the outcome of of the forces in, in European Council and the European Parliament. Um, but it's not very much in touch with uh, the majorities of people in in Europe with the choices of the citizens. So I think one of the very interesting and important um, discussions that need to be addressed in in the in the debate about the future of Europe is how to connect better um, the kind of policies that are designed at the level of Europe with what citizens want or need or perceive as, as valid and important questions. Yeah. What do you think is the role of the citizens in, in this context? What can they do mm-hmm. in order to be heard? Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think that um, European integration has been going on for several decades right now and the, role, the questions about the role of citizens have been asked only relatively very recently. And, uh, and not addressed to full extent. So 
I, yesterday, actually, I was at a, at a very interesting seminar about about EU as a global actor uh, with the with the EU ambassador to the UN, and I really liked liked his uh, metaphor of uh, uh, saying that you know the EU is like if if the EU wants to be an actor in global politics in in European politics, uh, it has its producers like an actor in theater or cinema. And who are the producers? The producers are um, the member states, right? They are those that provide this kind of essential support and, and the design of, of whatever action is to be taken. And, and I pointed out, well, you know, if, if the EU is as, is as a play or, or, a, or a movie, um, then we also have to think that it's crowdfunded because it very much relies on the support of citizens and the input of the citizens. So I think this is a, a, a realization that uh, European and national politicians uh, have, uh, have obviously had, but a little bit ignored. And um, we need to, I think, connect, try to connect more the kind of policy and the kind of policy debate that is done at the European level to the concerns of the citizens and uh, obviously this is very difficult because of the type of governance, the multi-level governance system in the European Union. So uh, what citizens can most immediately or more immediately impact is, is the national level that then translates to the supranational level. But there needs to be, there need to be some kind of changes that um, give the sensation to the citizens that they can actually have a protagonism in, in European politics, that their concern, uh, concerns are being uh, addressed in a, in, a valid, in, a, in a valid way. And um, I'm especially concerned about young citizens, uh, I think, because they are those that will shape the future of Europe. I think the preoccupation should be here about um, their perspective, their support for European integration, and uh, with the European crisis, we have seen that the young people are the ones that have suffered most uh, with, the, um, with the austerity policies. So I'm very much worried about the perspective of the, of the young uh, citizens that uh, are those that will shape the future of Europe, but have been, to a certain extent, the ones that have been most ignored or may, maybe not taken care of uh, by, the, by the national and the European elites. So I would especially uh, think um, also about the role of education. Um, and I think it stems from the fact that uh, I think about the European Union as, as a political system. I think there is a European community underlying it, but we have to work very hard to uh, adjust the institutions to, the, to, this, uh, to the, the goal of having the European community. And uh, education is central there, I think. Uh, I teach uh, EU politics uh, for the last five years and I realized with my students that they don't know that much about European institutions. And I think uh, uh, informed citizen is the only citizen that can have a protagonism in, in democratic politics. So I think there, there should be more emphasis on, on educating um, especially the young about the institutions of the EU, about the democratic processes of the EU, so they don't fall prey very easily to this kind of populist uh, uh, demagoguery uh, that is very much counter to, to any kind of integration. Um, so citizens are central, but, but the, especially the young generation and, and the role of education. I mean, we have the, the Erasmus program that has been, I think, the most... Uh, uh, successful policy of, of European Union, I would argue. And I have uh, Erasmus students in my classes and I see um, that, it, that it 
fosters this kind of very interesting inter inter-european debate and 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 you know getting to together and getting to know other cultures and um i think this is the this is the future of europe the young people but young people that are informed and that know europe and are able to um to if they want if they wish to uh, to travel to work to study in other european countries i think this is the the basis for a for a future for europe can you tell us a little bit about your research at harvard mm -hmm. What are you focusing on? How is it maybe relevant to to the future of Europe? Yes, of course. Um, so my research deals with the issue of uh, public opinion and public support for European integration. So um, looking at uh, the changes, specifically specifically here at Harvard, I'm working on a project on the impact that the recent crisis have had on public opinion in, in the European Union. Uh, specifically related to uh, immigration. So uh, I'm very interested in the issue of European community and the existence of, existence of European identification and how it is defined, how it is relevant to, to European integration. Um, and what we have seen uh, in the last couple of years is a very interesting uh, new development, and that is a stronger delimitation of, of a European community um, or a European collective identity that can be interpreted in a both positive or a negative way. So what we see is that with the development of the refugee and migrant crisis in 2015, uh, more and more people are distinguishing between the different types of migrants and um, even though the attitudes towards migration in general has unfortunately uh, become more and more negative across the board in the whole of the European integration, both in countries that have experienced um, the inflow of, of refugees and those that don't have this problem. Uh, overall, the mood uh, regarding immigration is very negative. And this is due to many, many factors. We have the, the obviously the populist right that is kind of stirring this kind of negative mood, but also the role of the media has been central. So uh, there is a a change in mood um, across the board in Europe uh, to become more negative about the, 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 those that are perceived as the others to, to the European um, political community. However, we can also see a development that can be interpreted as positive, that is more and more people are positive towards internal migration or the so-called European mobile citizen, people uh, going to work in other European countries, even though it has been very much politicized in, in some countries, specifically in, in the UK, obviously, um, with the whole Brexit debate and the debate about the presence of almost a million of Polish migrants in, in, in the UK. But um, the roots of that, I think, are very much, uh, pertain very much to the, to the specific context of national British politics and not, are not generalizable to, to the whole. To the whole of Europe. So in, in the whole of Europe what we see is in spite of this kind of general negative mood against immigration, we see that uh, people are more and more in favor of European migrants, of having people work from work and live in, in other European countries or in their country from other European countries. So I think there is a very interesting development there and I'm trying to in my in my research I'm trying to see how is this connected to civic and ethnic conceptions of European uh, collective identity to um, 
attitudes uh, that are related uh, to European integration, to um, refugees, etc. So this is the this is the project that I'm that I'm developing while I'm here at Harvard, and and I must say that uh, it has been very very interesting so far. I think there is a huge. I mean. We can, this is understandable. A very big interest here in the U.S. Uh, about issues of immigration in the U.S., but also uh, probably because it's interesting to compare and contrast the the, um, the experience um, with the, with with the European one. So so far, I had um, the, the the opportunity to to discuss that, discuss my research, and present it in in, in several. Um, instances, and I think that it's it's it has become very much enriched also by the by the American perspective. So I'm very happy about that. Um, but yes, I think we need to we need to immediately deal with this um, issue of how we define European political community. It's a more open uh, community, open society, um, but at the same time deal with these growing anxiety among European publics about issues of immigration. So I'm trying to disentangle that and, and, and deal with that with my in my research. I wanted to ask you about nationalism and the rise of nationalism mm -hmm. across Europe, but um, if you can talk specifically about Poland, do you see any rise of nationalism in Poland? Because recently we have been discussing and seen some rise of nationalism in Hungary, mm -hmm. so I was wondering what's your opinion? Is there a rise of nationalism in mm -hmm. Poland? I think that uh, Poland is a very interesting case to understand the importance of national identity to people. And I feel like um, there has been a tendency, especially in European politics, and I that's also my problem, I recognize that, to very easily dismiss um, this kind of anxiety or worry about uh, erosion of national identity. Uh, both through supranational uh, governance as well as you know the, ex the perceived external threats, but as I said before, I think that we need to we need to recognize the fact that um, if there is a rise in 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 support uh, for populist right, this kind of authoritarian populists in in several countries, but obviously. Hungary and Poland, unfortunately, have become the kind of the poster child uh, ch uh, children for for that for that kind of um, uh, populism. So there is an issue to be there is an issue to be addressed there, and um, I think specifically it is very much uh, related and and I can and I can explain that on the on the example of Poland to the lack of a social dimension in 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 European and national politics specifically. Um, so I think in Poland it, what, what has happened is that, and, and we must um, distinguish between support for the populists or, or the existing government in Poland, and the fact that um, Poland has, has had uh, uninterrupted economic growth since we entered the European Union. So we go there beyond the kind of macroeconomic uh, success that has been that many thought that would um, be kind of antidote to um, the rise of populists in, in European countries. So obviously it's not about only about that. And I would argue that um, there are two things that are missing there. And one is um, this kind of social dimension to uh, any kind of economic policy. And this is how I wouldn't, I, I don't think that the nationalist appeal was in itself the thing that 
uh, helped or allowed for the success of, of nationalist right or this kind of authoritarian right in Poland and also in Hungary. I think it was more about uh, the promise of a more social economy uh, that is, of course, combined with this uh, promise of uh, protecting the Poles or the Hungarians from the more kind of, you know, globalized uh, uh, threats and uh, also that are uh, interconnected with European integration. But uh, so one thing that we need to realize is that uh, people vote for, for, the, for, these, for the populist parties not because they uh, only because uh, they are nationalistic or they 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 are um, kind of because of the appeal to the values but also because they feel like they have been left out and that is i think hungary and poland are very good examples of that um because central eastern european countries access the eu with great enthusiasm for european integration much greater i think than anywhere else in the in in europe and i, I remember um timothy gartenash has has this very nice book about uh, the revolutions of of 1989 and he says that he went all around uh, central eastern europe and he says i have never seen more enthusiastic europeans anywhere in western europe that i've seen in central eastern europe so it was it was very clear that everybody wanted to be part of European integration, wanted to support European integration, wanted to be part of this what was perceived as you know a progressive, open, democratic society, but also uh, part of the economic success. So Poles and Hungarians and Czechs, um, we all we all were looking to Germany more specifically um, as this kind of example of of a good life, you know, of a welfare state, of of. Uh, of a country where you can you can find a good job, etc. Many Poles emigrated to Germany to look for work even before uh, we became part of the European uh, Union. So I think uh, the first ten years of European integration has been a kind of disappointment in this in this sense for many uh, people in Euro in in Poland, and um, you know the current government has found a way to appeal to these people um, through uh, promises of a more social policy. Of uh, taking care more of uh, of, of uh, older people, of families, of of, um, of the prospects for for future of the younger people. So obviously the question is there. The economic question is how sustainable these policies are. So I don't I don't I don't think they are very sustainable over time. But the thing is that they found a way to um, to get to to the citizens and to address their anxieties. And this takes me back to what I was saying at the at the beginning that the rise of the populists. Um, across Europe cannot be dismissed as this kind of uh, phenomenon that, you know, we should be very uh, uh, kind of uh, pessimistic about and only reject them as, as invalid. I think they, they bring to the table some, some, some questions about how the, the anxieties and the, the preoccupations of the citizens are addressed and whether they are addressed in, 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 a, in, a, in a fulfilling way. And I think in, in, in especially in Central Eastern Europe, there is this kind of sentiment that, you know, we hoped for a, for a m much better outcome that we got. And obviously you cannot dis like kind of dismiss the fact that um, these countries have received huge help from the European Union. Um, the developing, the economic development has been really spectacular. But uh, there are big parts of the population that feel that they have been left out in this Especially if you hear on the media and the television say, talk about this great economic success, but you cannot see it for yourself, then you know this kind of disconnect between the elites 
um, that tell you that you're successful in your own situation make you look for alternatives for people who seem to understand you. And I think that this is where the populists come in and they say, we see you, we understand you, we will provide a solution to that. And, and you know, the, the populists in Poland, the populist party, the party in government, is a very nationalistic party, but they also a very social party. So this kind of combination of, of addressing these issues is what gave them um, the success in, in Poland. Thank you so much. We ask you a lot of questions. Is there anything we didn't ask you about, but you have thoughts, you have something very important to tell us about the future of Europe? Well, I think that uh, a, I'm very happy that you're doing this. Um, I'm, I'm really, I congratulate you on, on the idea um, to, to, to have this conversation. And I'm looking forward to hearing of, uh, about the responses of, of my colleagues and, and the other people that you, uh, that you interviewed. Um, I think that the, the most important um, issue right now about the future of Europe is, 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 is having this conversation. So I think that, that something, something will come out of it. I hope it will be positive. And uh, I, don't, I, mean, I don't think I'm in the majority here, uh, but I, I, am, I am positive about, about the outcome. There are many threats uh, from, on different fronts, national, supranational, global. But um, the fact that we are having this conversation and that uh, we are trying to have this common reflection, not only uh, in the academic circles, I feel like there, there are already kind of responses. And uh, for instance, the, the German election, uh, we have a candidate who is very on, uh, I mean, that issue was not also very worrying in, in Germany, but we have, uh, we have Martin Schulz, who, who's already... I think he will run a campaign on a very pro-European um, uh, position. We have in France uh, also the, the race, so we have Macron, who is also running under European flag, so to say. So I think there's also this kind of realization in, in European politics. We will see what, account, as I said in the before, uh, if I knew what the future of Europe would be, I would probably just write a book about it right now and become rich and, and become the, you know, the next superstar of, of, of uh, EU yes. politics research. But I think that there is, uh, and especially talking to young people who have, I mean, I'm, I'm the perfect example of a European citizen. I have lived in, in several European countries. I, 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 I work in, in, in the Spanish academia because I'm a European citizen. Before we were part of the European Union and before European citizenship existed, probably I would not be even able to apply for a position in, in a, at a Spanish university being a Pole. So I personally see it as, as a very big development and, and progress. But the thing is that we know that there is a certain part of the, of the European society that has benefited a lot. Uh, the mobile citizens, the more educated, the, those that speak languages. But uh, we need to appeal, find a way to appeal and formulate this kind of positive narrative to a broader set of audience in Europe. And I think that is where the future is. Finding this kind of narrative um, to counter very efficient narratives from center right, uh, um, radical right especially, um, and appealing to broader audiences and letting them know that there is something positive to be found in, in, in coming together and not going back to this very, uh, you know, bounded national communities and national politics. So that would be my thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Interesting conversation.
You've been listening to the EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.